and welcome to GEC Important Talks. This is a podcast series presented by Global Education Connection, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing children who are affected by conflict or natural disaster with resources like educational materials and art supplies. As a part of this podcast, we want to talk about important issues related to children, their human rights, and their education. Of course, neither of us are an expert on these topics. We speak only to our knowledge, our perspectives, and our personal experiences, but there are many credible online sources for further information. Today we have myself, Catherine Soderbeck, and Carter Beck. And today we're going to be discussing police brutality, uh, specifically in regards to children. Um, We decided to talk about this because of the ongoing protests uh, that are currently occurring in France. as a result of police killing a 17-year-old during a traffic stop several weeks ago. Um, This, of course, is not an incident isolated to France. Um, There have been uh, multiple instances in other countries, including the United States, of children being killed by police. So I think this directly speaks to a broader issue within policing as a whole. So we're going to talk about that briefly before we move on to specifically how it affects children. Uh, Like I said, I think this has a lot to do with how police um, are specifically trained. Um, A a big thing um, that was especially brought to light during the Black Lives Matter protests is how like little formal training police actually receive in certain areas. I think this is going to be a growing issue in the United States, especially regarding um, mental health training for police officers, as we have seen, um, you know, what uh, people are calling a mental health crisis in the United States. Um, So if if people are having or if, if we are seeing more predominantly displayed mental health issues within greater portions of the population, but police aren't properly trained on how to interact um, with people experiencing mental health crises, um, I think it's going to be a growing issue. Um, and and I, I think this also uh, affects like how police are trained to de-escalate situations, um, and which then, of course, all affect how they interact with the greater population. Yeah, I so in preparation for this, um, I was looking at some information on the uh, f- an article from the Council on Foreign Relations, written by Amelia Cheatham and Lindsay Maisland, uh, updated on March 29th, twenty two. Actually, referenced what we were just talking about. Um, there are some big big differences between countries around the world and the levels in which there is uh, police training for those countries. So. Uh, this article, I'm going to quote the article right now. Basic U.S. training programs take 21 weeks on average, whereas similar European programs can last more than three years. So right there is a, is a huge difference between just the training for U.S. police compared to that of some European countries. Um, Catherine, you also referenced de-escalation training. Um, the article also talks about that as well. Um, so the academies so police academies in the u.s on average spent the most time 71 hours on firearm skills compared to that with 21 hours on de-escalation training so right there we've got less than half the amount of time um for training that is being spent on ds that is being spent de-escalating train de-escalation training compared to that of firearms training so 
not just not to take away from particular the importance of firearms training, but maybe there needs to be an increase in the training for de-escalate de-escalation training to that of the same level or more than that of firearms training. I don't think that anyone can say that there, there needs to be less training, but I think that we can all agree that there needs to be more training and better trained, more trained uh, police officers, I think is going to be a good thing. So especially when it comes to de-escalation training. So that was just one thing I read from this this article here. Absolutely. And I think de-escalation is honestly only the tip of the iceberg. There are a lot of different areas that I think the police need more training in, specifically the law. Like, I, I think police need to be much more well-versed um, in the actual law itself mm -hmm. and how to uh, interact with people. Um, because I, I uh, hmm. like not that long ago, oh my gosh, there was the, the story of um, like the, the child who got arrested for picking a flower. It's, it's like kind of ridiculous that like these are the instances we're seeing of police um, taking action and arresting someone, even if it's a child for, you know, picking a flower. Um, so I, I think it's it's not only important for police officers to be well versed in the law, but I also think it it should be more common for like the average citizen to be more well versed in the law. Um, of course, attorneys serve a, a point like we have them for disputes in court, but I think it's really important for people to at least have a basic legal understanding and to know your rights, especially when speaking to police. There's actually a um, a great video on YouTube. Um, called uh, Don't Speak to the Police, I believe. Um, it's actually, um, yeah, sorry, it's Don't Talk to the Police. It was um, a lecture put on by a law professor and a police officer where they directly tell you, don't talk to cops because um, literally anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. So even if you're not, like, if you even if you haven't done anything wrong, it is heavily advised for you to not speak to police unless you are with legal counsel. And I, just, I just don't think a lot of people realize that or know the extent that the law protects them, especially in regards to interactions with police. Yeah, sure. We all know the generic Miranda rights. We've all watched, you know, <laughs> we've all watched some version of Law and Order or some other cop show where you, know, you have the right to remain silent uh, is repeated constantly. But I, I think I think we need to be a little bit more diligent in um, knowing our rights, um, especially as tensions between police and citizens grows. Um, like there's more and more distrust, I think, between the average American and law enforcement. So I, I think knowing your rights um, is extremely important to that and to make sure the police know your rights as well. Yeah, Catherine, building on that, um, also, I, I got, well, there's an article from the BBC uh, written May 18th, 2021 by Jake Horton. Um, this article talked also about the differences with policing in the United States compared to that of other countries. Um, quoting the article, in England and Wales, it has recently become mandatory for officers to have an academic degree. So right there, that speaks to what you said with there needs to be uh, police officers uh, need to have more knowledge 
rather than maybe particular firearms training, but more knowledge with the law, more knowledge about de-escalation training, more knowledge about different uh, cultural differences between different segments of the population. And so maybe that's something that can also be incorporated into more countries. Uh, and then also we can see that uh, hopefully here as well. Um, I, th I think having an academic degree as part of the requirements to become a police officer might be also a good step because that requires more classroom training in addition to the um, in addition to the academy physical training that they already receive. So I think that's that would be that would be a good step. But also, like you said, the responsibility is also on us civilians to know the law, to know our rights. And so I wouldn't say I wouldn't say necessarily to, not to speak to police officers, but I would say that um, I think it's important for us to know the law and not be afraid of it. Um, and I, I think that's a big thing is is just fear in general, uh, because no one wants to make a mistake when you're around police because no one, no one no one actually wants to break the law. I think most people are just afraid of the the consequences. And so I think it's important to know what the law is. And also to feel confident that police officers know the law as well. So just being better informed ourselves, plus also the police officers, I think is going to lead to more peace and less resentment, which which I think it should be a goal going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I, we talked uh, last week about some of the benefits of college, especially in like growing your perspective and critical thinking skills, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, are both, I think, pretty important for police officers to have. So at least if in some capacity they had to attend some form of higher education beyond the police academy and got some legal training, um, I, I think that would be extremely beneficial to some of the ongoing issues we've been having uh, within this country regarding policing. So mm -hmm. I, I think bare minimum, that's a step we need to take. Um, yeah. Just in general, some kind of police need more, more training baseline, yeah. whether you, that should be done within the police academy, but broadening the type of things that they're learning there or requiring them to go to some form of other higher education. Um, maybe have it be like, um, oh gosh, uh, like, how teachers have to get like recertified on, in certain aspects every so often, like if mm. police had to do that too, yep. or um, like when my mom was a practicing EMT or like when my dad was practicing, practicing paramedic, they had to go to like conferences every so often to like uh, revitalize their skills and whatnot. So even if the police were doing that, I think more proactively and doing it in things like de-escalation, like diversity training, like learning how to ha like speak with, um, children or just minors in general or how to handle people experiencing mental health crises and like actually put that training to use i think it could, be, could do a lot of work in addressing um some of the most prevalent issues we see with policing in our country yeah that was um let me go back to the article from the council on foreign relations um there are some ta uh, tactics that other countries utilize i'm going to quote the departments worldwide have implemented community policing techniques to ease tensions this includes depo deploying community liaisons which in australia work alongside officers to reduce crime and foster cross-cultural understanding and communication between police and minority groups. Um, there was also, they've also utilized this in California, but also the article does say that broadly, however, community policing tactics have mixed results. So maybe it's worth trying 
and maybe it's going to work in one community but not another so but it's i think it's something that's worthwhile to try because they've seen they're utilizing this in richmond california plus also australia and i'm sure there's other examples around the world but i think that might be something worthwhile to to try if one community is facing some issues maybe try the, the tactic of having a community liaison yeah, you know, every community is going to be different and have different needs. So I definitely think having that is a step forward. Um, but I, I like I also think like, um, like states and the federal government need to be more proactive and stuff like this. Like as it stands, the federal government doesn't really have a lot of um, like laws or regulations specifically regarding um, police interactions with minors has mostly been left up to the states. Mm. But again, the states haven't really done much with that either. Um, like they often set like the minimum age, like the, a child can be arrested, but they don't actually have like requirements on how police should interact with minors, um, what level of force they're allowed to use against minors. So I, I think that's another thing that our government needs to be more proactive on and take more steps to address. So what you're saying is the the point where states have not set a, a standard or a standard that might be deemed appropriate, the federal government needs to step in and establish that standard. So that way it's a minimum for states. If they want to exceed, if they want to be better than that standard, they can, but there's a minimum standard set by the federal government. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. If the states won't do it, someone needs to. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I agree. Um, I, I mean, so like you said, with uh, local, state, local and state governments, um, from, from the article of Council, Council on Foreign Relations, it also does talk about the funding, funding differences. Um, it talks about the United States spends close to 1% of its GDP on police. Local, and gov local governments yeah. fund most of this. Uh, Those state and federal governments finance their own law enforcement agencies. So like states have their own um, states have their own like special law enforcement agencies. And then also there's the federal government with like the FBI, CIA. Um, but in terms of local policing, it's typically funded through local, local taxation, uh, local revenue through the local. Okay. I at the point where we see that the funding is predominantly set by the funding for local law enforcement is predominantly set by local governments. That's probably why the federal government has not established a minimum, I guess, particular standard when it comes to, like you said, uh, child child arrests and um, having the training to, to work with minors. And so that's probably why there has not been uh, established standards up until up until now, um, or the, the opportunity to do so. Definitely. Yeah. Um, again, it's, it's probably one of those things that, like I mentioned earlier, every community knows best. So the federal government not wanting to overstep on states rights, left it up to the states and then the states probably went each community knows how to probably handle interactions best. So they didn't step in to regulate it either. Um, but I think with the disparities that we see in police brutality against minors, something needs to be addressed. Um, so if, if that's the states finally stepping in and proactively addressing this, where, whether it's the federal government coming in and saying, look, if you're not going to do something, we will, whether it's communities themselves coming together and implementing practices, something needs to change because like we've seen in France, like, kids are dying because police aren't properly trained on how to handle situations like this. So 
something needs to change. Well, I think one great way that something can change is living in the United States, we do have the ability to vote and we vote on we vote on local issues, state state issues, and then federal issues. So communities can come together and if there is a consensus, they can uh, they can establish a particular ordinance or a law where it does require more more police training or if they want something to change. So I think that is that is one way that we can see some positive change, but that requires work on our end, citizens, and not just putting the responsibility on someone else like the federal government. The federal government do this, state government do this, but we ourselves have the ability to actually uh, to actually do that ourselves. So that's something unique to the United States that we can do. We don't have to rely on like a, an autocracy to to take care of us. Um, we have that. We have that right. Absolutely. So it's a great time to plug. Hey, go speak to your representatives, whether that's local, state, federal. Uh, you can email them. You can call them. The best way to get your legislators to proactively address an issue is to bring it to their attention and show them how much the community wants this to be addressed. Yeah. Um, Catherine, have you actually have you have you do you have any experience in doing that? Have you actually reached out to like a local representative? Not uh recently um it's mostly been through like i've gone to protests and stuff so mm -hmm. like that's been my way of showing solidarity um but uh hmm. i can say from like my perspective from my perspective i've i've never reached out to my local representative um but i mean of course i'm i'm, I'm not opposed to it i would I would love yeah. the opportunity to talk to them. Um, but I mean, I also get like their emails and their, their calls from, uh, from like the political party asking for donations. <laughs> so they, they yeah, do reach so. out, they do reach out. <laughs> but I mean, but like you said, that is one way that if we want to, we absolutely as citizens have the right to be able to, to talk to our representatives and say that, that this is something that we, that we'd like to see changed. And, um, and if we gather enough support as citizens, we can um, bring about a like an initiative on a ballot uh, come next election. So that that is something that's really great that we can do. And I, I think part of the reason people don't reach out more is honestly on legislators. Like, hmm. I think they need to do more work actually advertising when they're hosting things like town yeah. halls yeah. or things like that, or actually yeah. saying, hey, this is how you can contact me if you have an mm -hmm. issue that needs to be addressed. Instead yeah. of like, yes, as constituents, we have a responsibility to also be able to reach out to them. But I think they also need to extend the hand backwards. Like, yep. it can't just be me knocking on their door without them actually answering. <laughs> no, that, um, so that's, has, a, that's a good point. There has to be some kind of two-way communication. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think, like, kind of after COVID, like, obviously we couldn't host like typical town halls and stuff during mm -hmm. during that. And like since that, I just don't think people have advertised it because of how divisive politics are in this country. Yeah. Um. So I I think again, it, like, legislators need to start reaching out to people and going, hey, like, I know that there's stuff that I'm working on because I know you guys want me to. But is there anything else I could be doing? I work for you. Mm -hmm. Your taxes pay my salary. Yeah. What do you want me to be doing as I represent you, whether at the local, state, or national level? What can I better do to have your voice heard? So I, I think legislators also need to be doing a bit more with that. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, social media is a great way to start. 
Um, yeah, that like there's, what, there's what some, you were talking at that I was thinking of social media. <laughs> like there are some legislators who do a fantastic job at utilizing social media as a way to communicate with their constituents. Mm -hmm. But I think more need to be doing that, especially as more and more people um, like use social media, especially the younger generation. If you want to get get you know like Gen Z and millennials mobilized and out to vote and like actively engaged in the political process without isolating them and making it making them feel like ignored a great way to do that is social media we've seen the power of social media in recent elections like mm -hmm. so i i think um more legislators need to be doing that there's Very cool there's actually um Oh gosh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but there is a fantastic legislator out of North Carolina that uses TikTok as a way to communicate with people. I don't know if you don't use TikTok, so you probably don't know him. <laughs> but like any time that there is an issue, he posts a video about it on TikTok, breaking it down in, in an easy way for people to understand. I not even I don't even live in North Carolina and I still follow him because he does such an amazing job at breaking down issues and discussing how the federal government is going to address it and why. He has some fantastic videos um, back when we were having the whole debt ceiling crisis, breaking mm -hmm. down what the debt ceiling was, how it was affecting us, how they were trying to address it and how they would address it moving forward. But then even after the fact, he was still posting videos about it. Like, yeah, you're like, it's not an issue that we're going to be talking about now because it's not like, it's like not on the mainstream news. So no one's going to talk about it because it's not a pressing issue. So unless you want to pay the money to run the ads to make it a pressing issue, it's just not going to be talked about. Um, well, so, so tying, tying that back uh, to, to policing, I think if, if members of a community want to, to see change, like you said, one way is to potentially a, a younger generation, millennials, Gen Z can utilize social media to, to gather following and then also to communicate with their legislator. Plus, also you can communicate with uh, cities, cities, um, townships. They a lot of them also have social media now as well. So that is one method of communication to be able to voice to your local government or your state government that you want to see some sort of change. Whether it if it's policing, if it's more training in a particular area, or if you have just a, a, a question or concern. I think that's great to be able to have that kind of communication that we have probably more so now than we have in the past. So I think it, it's, I think that's great that we have the opportunity to utilize that. Yeah, social media, of course, has its pros and its cons, but I think mm -hmm. a pro that we've especially seen uh, and we will continue to see moving forward is the ability to more easily um, mobilize on certain issues and especially um, contact our representatives um i i don't know if other places do this but like my high school literally live streams their school board meetings so mm -hmm. even if you can't attend in person you can still watch online and they post the recordings to youtube so that like they you have the recording forever i think yeah. it'd be great if more communities started doing that it's a it's a great way to see um what your school board or even like your local council is doing to address issues even if like you can't make it there yourselves um so I, I, I definitely think that social media is obviously <laughs> a big thing moving forward. So I think if governments more proactively used it, it, it would be a 
great way to um, communicate with their communities and constituents. I think that's one of the reasons why that why in the news there is uh, there has been so much going on with police brutality, not just in the U.S. but also around the world, is because of the opportunity that social media provides to almost all of us that we have access to all this information and we can easily share photos and videos, um, anecdotes of what's going on. And so I think at the point where we have access to to more of these stories, then they're more then we're able to talk about them. And so I, I think that's really, I think that's a very, very unique about the time that we're living in right now is that we can have this conversation because of what happened in France, like, like uh, last week or the week before, um, not just talking about what, what was going on in the U S but we're able to know about what's going on in France in Germany in, in Peru. And so that is really great. Absolutely. You know, like, like the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020 wouldn't have been as big and had much of an impact if they did if we hadn't had social media in order mm -hmm. to get the, the videos out about what was happening. Not only yeah. what actually happened to George Floyd, but also what was being done in response to protesters. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's definitely a tool in order to combat police brutality by mm -hmm. um, bringing it to light, especially within communities. Um, and putting pressure on uh, police to um, actually <laughs> address what they did. Because mm -hmm. um, a, a big reason why uh, things were handled with the George Floyd case the way that they were was because of how big of a case it got because of social media. Yeah, People were absolutely. able to use it and point out, hey, maybe putting your knee on a guy's neck for like 10 minutes and then him dying that's like that's kind of connected when he's telling you he can't breathe and like you have that on video like maybe maybe he died for a reason and it's not just because he was and that was in video. minneapolis yes i believe so that that was that was interesting that all around the u.s we were able to see that because of the power of social media so also that that makes me think not necessarily that there are more issues with police now not necessarily that the police force is getting worse but maybe it's more of that everyone is becoming more aware of the issues and it's more, it's more, it's easier to share and communicate with people around the, around the, uh, the, the country with what's going on. So I, I think I don't want to, I don't want to say that policing is just getting worse and worse, but maybe think maybe we're just doing a better job of being able to highlight issues that are going on and have been going on and it provides the opportunity for those to be corrected yeah I, it, like police brutality isn't anything new yeah. um it, it's just the fact that by now having social media we have the ability by now having phones with these mm -hmm. handy dandy little cameras built inside them we can catch police on camera doing the things that they're not supposed to and then share it online and be able to mobilize community response. Yeah. So it, I don't think it's that people not necessarily care more than they did 10, 15 years ago. It's just that social media makes it more easily accessible for us to be aware of the issues and for us to organize as a community on how we want to proactively try to address them. And also, I think it provides a, also a layer of accountability as well. There's more yeah, accountability because, now because of social media. Yeah. Uh, and that I think kind of 
ties back to the juvenile aspect of it because in a lot of cases um with juveniles in regards to police like those files will often be sealed um because they're juveniles Mm -hmm. you know like like they don't have the level of transparency necessarily that um adults do in interacting with the police because it's a minor those like like we have laws to protect minors um and sometimes I think the police use that to their benefit by not actually having to share the details of what went down in a case where a minor experienced police brutality because it was a minor and then them being able to seal the files. Mm. So it, it's kind of a double-edged sword there. So this is a, uh, it's, it's a, it's a difficult conversation we're having and, but I think it's a very important conversation we're having. Um, but I, I, I like that we were able to to talk about the benefits of social media because it allows us to be able to to more effectively communicate with not only ourselves, but our government, our representatives. Um, and it allows us to hold people accountable. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Like absolutely. Uh, awesome. Um, all right. Well, I think we will wrap it up there for today. All right. Well, so before we leave, I again want to reference our coloring book that we have on Amazon. Um, this is a coloring book that we provide to kids all around the world. Um, it has great info, information on different animals, plus it has uh, the drawings of animals. Um, it's a great opportunity for kids to be able to draw and to learn. And so we send this to kids around the world that have been affected by conflict and natural disaster as a way for them to have a creative outlet. Uh, if you go on Amazon, you can purchase this book. All of the proceeds go towards benefiting our um, our programs around the world. So if it's a great way to help support us in, in what we're doing and, and how we can continue to do so. So thank you for anyone that has purchased the book. And if you haven't, go and get your copy. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you all so much for listening today this has been gec important talks hosted by the team at global education connection you can find us at our website www.globaleducationconnection.org to learn more about what we do who we are and how you can help help support us Um, you can also find us on our social media platforms so again thank you so much for listening and we hope to have you back next week bye bye